Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you. Lord, we want to invite you here this morning. Whatever we brought in with us, whatever our week held, we pray that we would lay it down at your feet and that we would just worship you this morning. Lord, speak to our hearts. We praise you, God, in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, that is a good way to start the day. Amen. Worshiping our God. Um, well, glad to have you here. For those of you who are here, Tanya already mentioned it. Uh, maybe even Laura mentioned it, but I'm going to mention it. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad to have you here. Uh, we want you to know that we are passionate about following Christ, not on a Sunday morning only, but every day, every minute of every day. And we want you to know that this is a safe place for you to dig in and discover what that looks like, what that should mean, and how to follow God's Word on a daily basis. And we love that. We get excited about that. It's a safe place for you to dig in at your pace, but we will call you to do that. Uh, and so we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, well, today we're going to get into a topic that, uh, to be honest, for some people in this world, they probably would not fully uh, understand. They wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense to them. They'd say, well, this, this doesn't make sense to me. And so I thought that to kind of get us in the mo mode of things that don't make sense, let's start that way. And, and then we'll get into the actual Bible story that maybe, you know, for some of us, it's going to make sense right away. For some of, some of the rest of us, it's like, what? I, this doesn't make sense. And that's okay. But here's some things that I think don't make sense. And, and you're probably going to get these because I think that these are somewhat universal. All right. So the first one is, why on a macaroni and cheese box do they have the push here to open and it never actually opens? <laughs> right? Have you noticed that? All you do is end up ripping the top off because you're like, oh, it doesn't work. Right. And I mean, it's true. Lies. They're lies is what they are. They're lying to you. Um, in fact, I found this interesting quote on Pinterest. Anybody like Pinterest? All right, yeah. Uh, and this, so you think you're tough? Let's see you open a box of mac and cheese using the press here tab. Then I'll be impressed. I'm like, that is perfect. That's so right on because like you can't. Like it's just not, it's not going to happen. All right. Uh, or, or, or maybe, maybe this one. Uh, I've mentioned this. Why do we press the buttons harder, right? Uh, you know you've done it. You know you've done it. That's why you're laughing. You're just like, yeah. And I don't know about you, but I actually pick it up off the couch because it's too much work to normally do that. But, but I pick it up and I like point it at the TV and I press. And I'm like, come on. I know it's got to work. No, the battery's dead, dummy, you know. But we do it anyway, right? We press them harder. Like, well, why do we do that? It's just one of those things. Or have you ever thought about this? Why do we call this a W when it's two Vs that are put together? I, I thought that was a good question. I hadn't thought about that before, but I thought it was a good question. It's like, man, I, I need to use that one. And this is really my favorite one and definitely makes sense to me. You guys know this about me, right? Why do they call this the fun size? <laughs> when was less candy fun? I don't know about you, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's them trying to sell you something that you actually, I would rather have the bigger one. Like, anyway... Things that don't make sense, <laughs> right? Things just don't make sense. Well, today we're going to continue our series at the movies, and, uh, and we're going to dig in with our next movie, and the next movie is Saving Private Ryan. 
And so if you've seen this movie or if you haven't seen this movie, let me just kind of give you a quick synopsis of what it's about. It's a World War II movie uh, set in World War II. And, and the whole movie, the whole premise of the movie is about these eight guys that are given a mission. They're given this task of finding one guy in the whole World War II setting, all right, theater in Europe. And, and, and the guy that they're trying to save parachuted in behind enemy lines. And so these eight guys are given this mission to go find Private James Ryan and pull him out of the war. And the reason they do that, the whole context is that he is one of four brothers. And, and they just find out that his three other older brothers, he's the youngest brother, the three older brothers have all just been killed in combat within several weeks of each other. And the mother's going to get all three letters on the same day. Yeah. And so they, they have to send these guys in. They're, they're like, you know, in the War Department, you know, they had to they'd sit there and just type these letters by the thousands to send to people. Okay? A horrific thing that we don't like to talk about, right, with war. And so they, they send these eight guys in because they're like, you're going to go in, you're going to find James Ryan, you're going to pull him out of the war. You're going to save him because we need to send him home. We need to give him, you know, safety. And, and so this, this, this movie's all about these eight guys that are sent in to save this one guy. Well, uh, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. We'll see a clip a little bit later, and so you'll understand why this movie has been picked. But today we're going to get into a story that maybe doesn't make sense to some people. Some of you are like, I get it. And some of you are going to be like, no, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And that's okay. We're going to be in different places, and that's all right. But the, today's story is actually a story that Jesus himself told. It's literally straight from the words of Jesus. It's a story that he told. It's called a parable. And, uh, and a parable is just a simple, fancy word uh, that means short story with a point. That's what it is. When Jesus told a parable, and he told a lot of them, Jesus was a good storyteller. I don't know if you've ever get dug into the Bible. If you haven't, you need to. But you dig into the Bible, Jesus tells stories like nobody else. And, and these parables, these short stories with a focused point, we're going to look at one of those today. And, and there's a reason why he tells this story. In fact, the first couple of verses that I'm going to read in Luke chapter 15, the first two verses, they're not the story. They just give the context of why Jesus tells the story, right? Because if I just jump in and start telling a story, you're kind of wondering, well, why are we talking about this? Well, so we need the context. Why does Jesus tell the story? Well, I'm going to give you the context. We're going to read the first two verses, then we'll read the parable. All right, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. Some tax collectors and other notorious, that's famous, sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them. That's the context, all right? So what's going on is Jesus has been hearing this complaining, this grumbling, this gossip against him. This, this group of people called the Pharisees and this other group of people, the religious teachers in the synagogues, in the temple, they're talking bad about Jesus. That's essentially what's going on. They're gossiping, they're, they're hating on Jesus, and the reason they, they don't trust him, the reason they hate him, is because they look out at all the people kind of hanging out with Jesus, and you know what they see? They see a bunch of tax collectors, and they see sinners. Oh my. Right? That's what they see. They see all these people that are, that are tax collectors and sinners, and, and, and so these Pharisees and the religious elites, what, who are these people? Well, the Pharisees 
Okay, we need to know this. This is really important. The Pharisees are the type of people that they put all of their hope and their trust and their stock in following the law of God to the letter. I mean, we're going to do it perfectly. We're going to wash our hands 12 times to make sure we're ritually clean before we enter this. And then we're going to do this 12 times and we're going to do this. And we never mess up. We never make a mistake. And if, oh man, if we do, we make sure we make the sacrifice immediately so that we're cleansed, we're good. And they lived in this bubble. And they certainly did not associate with tax collectors or sinners. They certainly didn't eat with them. Not even the fun-sized candy. They didn't eat with them. They didn't associate with them. We definitely don't talk to them, and we don't look at them. But Jesus, not only does he teach with them, but he, they see him hanging out with them. He sees that he's talking to them, that he notices them, that he's eating with them. And it drives them crazy. They hate Jesus because of it. They hate the others even more because of it. Because they're like, Jesus, they're getting Jesus' attention and not ours, and we're the ones following you. We're trying to follow the law of God perfectly. And so they're upset. They're jealous. And so these religious teachers, they're in kind of that same boat. They know the Bible backwards and forwards, and they're jealous of who Jesus is, and so they hate him. But why did they hate him so much? Well, the tax collectors, is, they're lumped in with this other group, the sinners, right? Did you notice that? Some tax collectors and notorious, well-known, everybody knows they're a sinner, right? Tax collectors and notorious sinners were put in the same group together. Well, that's about as bad as it gets back in this day. Because tax collectors in Jesus' day, they were hated more than just about anybody. They were. They were hated more than just about anybody. And there's two reasons for that. One, they collected money on behalf of the Roman Empire. And any Israelite worth his salt hates the Roman Empire. <laughs> because the Roman Empire controls them, they conquered them, and they're forcing them to live a certain way. Right? In a certain, in a certain manner. And so anybody who collects money for the hated Roman Empire, well, we're going to hate you too. And so the tax collectors were hated for collecting money for the Romans. The second reason, though, they're hated is maybe even a, a deeper issue. And this is that the tax collectors were well-known. In fact, it was pretty much a given that they were greedy and they were dishonest. In fact, that's probably why they became tax collectors. And this is what they would do. The tax collectors would not only collect the money that the Romans required them to collect and send to the Roman Empire, to the authorities that be, but they would collect extra on top of what the Romans asked them to do. And you know where that money went, right? Right? It, it went to help the poor. No, it didn't. It went to pad their pockets. And the people knew that. The people knew the tax collectors were getting rich off of their money. They were skimming off the top. And so they hate the tax collectors, and the tax collectors and sinners are thrown in the same boat together in this. And so this is why Jesus has to tell this story. <laughs> because Jesus says, uh-uh, <laughs> oh no, you don't. <laughs> you're not going to have this attitude. I know what you're saying. And by the way, Jesus didn't have to hear what they were saying. He already knew because he's Jesus. That's, I mean, he's God. So, but just so you know, you can't do anything without God knowing. Did you know that? right? It's kind of like your mother, right? But even more, <laughs> right? It's like they have eyes on every side of the head, and you're like, how did you know that? You know, my kids have said that. How do you know? Trust us, we know, <laughs> right? God is like that times a billion, right? He knows, and so he knows he has to deal with this sin issue in their heart. They've got pride. They think that they're better than these sinners. They think that they're better than the tax collectors, 
and they hate Jesus for it, and they hate these people because. And so Jesus is going to deal with this in a great way by telling them a story. Maybe it came across harsher. Maybe it came across less harsh. I don't know, but it's a good story. So listen to what Jesus says. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders? When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now this story, it's a powerful one because it communicates several things. It communicates a couple of things about God and it communicates a couple of things about you and I, right? There's a couple of things about God and there's a couple of things about you and I that we need to, to get from this story. The first thing that we need to understand and we learn and we probably get this is it tells us how much God loves us. You notice that in there? This demonstrates how much Jesus is trying to communicate to the Pharisees, to the religious elites. He's trying to communicate to the notorious sinners, to the tax collectors, to the homeless, to the one who's living in the biggest house in the, in, in the town. He's, he's communicating this to every person that how much he loves you. How much he loves you. And, and, and he's saying, if you have 99 sheep, right? Actually, you have 100 sheep, right? And you have 99 that, that they're hanging out in the wilderness with the shepherd. But then all of a sudden, the shepherd realizes there's one that's lost. There's one that's not here. He's not with us, okay? And by the way, whenever the Bible talks about sheep, not every time, but most of the time, and this one's included, it means people. Yeah, you and I, we get to be sheep. Woo-hoo! Right? <laughs> Fantastic. Right? But that's, that's what the Bible uses. The Bible describes us and it uses sheep as kind of the analogy. And so this is people. So understand, yes, we're talking about sheep, but we're talking about people. We're talking about you. We're talking about me. Okay? And so he says, if I have a hundred sheep, if I have a hundred people and 99 are in the wilderness and we're in relationship, we know each other, we're good, right? But then there's one that's lost, what Jesus is saying is God will leave the 99 and understand he left them in the wilderness. It's not like he puts them in the pen and, you know, we're going to put some guard dogs and all that. No, they're in the wilderness. He leaves them in the wilderness and he goes after the one who knows where he's at. He's in danger. He's not safe. He's all alone. And, and, and we need to get him and we need to bring him back. And how long does he look for him? Until he's what? Until he's found. And not until that time does he stop searching and seeking. See, the story tells us about God, but it also tells us uh, about ourselves. Because honestly, this is the part that I think a lot of people in this world, they don't, they, it doesn't make sense. This is crazy math. Why would God leave 99 in the wilderness to go after the one? Right? Strategically, doesn't make sense. Why would you leave 99 to go after the one? It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense that he would do that. 
But the truth is, God knows something about us, and we know something about us. We don't always admit this about ourselves, but we are prone to wander, aren't we? There's not, it's not a mistake that God calls us sheep in the Bible. <laughs> because we are prone to wander, aren't we? We are prone to get into our day or get into our career or get into our life and we forget our purpose on this planet. I know I do, and I'm a pastor. Like, I'm supposed to have this down. <laughs> and I forget it sometimes. And we are prone to wander. We tend to get off track, don't we? We get off the path. And some of us, let's be honest, some of us in here, we've never actually gotten on track. We've never actually put in, we've never actually gained that relationship, that access to God through Jesus because we've never given our life to him. But we are prone to be lost, to, to wander. And it might seem like crazy math to us. It might seem like crazy math. But, but let, me just, let me just put it this way. Because some of us in here were like, this is crazy math. And some of us in here were like, no, we get it. God should do that. Like, his love is huge. We should do that. But regardless of where we're at, it, let, let me just tell you something that's true. Okay? The people in this world who think this is crazy math that God would leave 99 to go after the one, my guess is that they don't think it's crazy math when they're the one who's lost. Am I right? When it's your child who's lost, it's probably not crazy math. Am I right? When it's you, when it's me, it's not, it ceases to become crazy math, and it's something that's very valuable. See, it's easy for the Pharisees to look from the other side and say, oh, I think, I think we're, we're part of the 99. Jesus, stop hanging out with those, that one over there. They're fine. Let them deal with their problems. Hang out with the 99. See, that's what they're really saying. And Jesus is tackling this, this problem. But we know that this is right, right? We know that God is right. We know that he's right because he's perfect. But I want you to kind of put this in perspective. This is not crazy math. Let me ask you this. Let's say that you're a parent, okay? Many of you are, so this makes sense. But let's say you're a parent and you have like a four or five-year-old. You saw Tanner. He's a little bit energetic. He's dancing around up here, right, during worship, all right? We, we got him up here, okay? Tanner's four. He's going to be five. So let's say you have a four or five-year-old, and you're in an amusement park or a mall or a huge music festival or something like that, and you're hanging out, and there's thousands of people, tens of thousands of people everywhere, and all of a sudden, you look down, and they're gone. He or she is gone. You don't know how long they've been gone. It could have been a couple minutes. could have been five minutes. You don't know, but they're gone. They're, I mean, and you look around, they're not in eyesight. You can't see them. Now, let me ask you, parents, where do you, what are you going to do? Are you going to do everything in your, absolutely everything in your power to find that child? Are you going to run around? Are you going to start yelling their name? Are you going to start grabbing every person that even remotely looks like them? Are you going to have, are you going to call the authorities and have them shut down the park? Are you going to, what are you going to do? Are you going to do that? Yeah, my guess is you will. You know why? Because that one that's lost is important and they're in danger and they may not be safe. And you know that the, you're not going to rest until that little one is what? Safe in your arms. Am I right? And this is exactly how God is. This is exactly how God is. He's going to go after the one because that one is lost. This is exactly how God does it. And so I think we need to understand that we can't get stuck on the whole fact that God is leaving the 99. I don't know about you, but he's leaving the 99 in the wilderness. And sometimes we kind of get lost on that. We get stuck on that. We're like, oh, 
He leaves the 99 like something could happen. Yeah, something, in fact, it does. The Bible says in this life you will have trouble. (laughs) Guess what? It's going to happen. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness, and sometimes we get stuck on that. But I think we need to think about it a little bit differently. We need to think about it in this way. It doesn't matter if it's one of the 99 or whether it's the one who lost or whether it's another 100 sheep somewhere else or whether it's, it doesn't matter. God is going to do this for every single one of them if they're lost. Does that make sense? So on this day, particular day, you might be one of the 99. You're good with Jesus. You've been walking with Jesus. Your relationship's good. You've been, you're, you're, you haven't strayed from the path. Good for you. And Jesus is going after the lost, and, and we need to be a part of that. But then who knows if down the road is you, you, you're not the one that's lost, and you need that. You want Jesus to come after you as well. See, we get stuck on the 99 But God says, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for the 99. I'm going to do this for the one. I'm going to do this for everybody I can. In fact, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us. So Peter is writing, and he's addressing this question. They they ask him, hey, Peter, why hasn't Jesus returned the second time? Like, he promised he's going to come back. It's been a while. (laughs) Can you imagine? That was like way back then. We're now 2,000 years later. (laughs) They didn't understand how long that was going to be, I don't think. But they're asking him, like, "Why, why hasn't Jesus come back already? Like, is he, is, he, is he just taking a long time? Did he get, is it traffic? <laughs> right? And, and, so, and so Peter has to address this, 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 this question. Right? And this is what he says. Listen to what he says. 2 Peter 3, 9. He says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be what? To be destroyed. But he wants everyone to repent. Now, we don't use that word often in our culture, repent. Uh, you know, I have a reason, I think, why we, why we don't. It's because we don't like the word and we don't want to do it. But the word repent means literally to turn away from your sin. To turn away from whatever your lifestyle is. To turn away, to do a 180, to do an about face, and I'm going this way because of my sin. I'm going away from God, and I'm going to turn from my sin, and I'm going to go to God. That's what repent means. And God desires that every person repent. That's his desire. That's what he wants. So this story tells us how much God loves us and that we're prone to wander, but it tells us something else. It tells us what we're supposed to be about. If you're a follower of Christ, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then this story tells you what your mission is, doesn't it? It tells you what your mission is. Um, In in fact, Jesus tells us what his mission is, which tells us what our mission is. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus' words, he says, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. If Jesus is willing to leave the 99, oh, and by the way, um, this is actually, the 99 probably represents like your family and your best friends and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying you leave them like you never see them again. Laura, love you. See you later. I just realized I've got to go. <laughs> no. I'm not saying you just, whoop, you're gone. Leave them in the dust. No. But it does mean If you only spend time with the 99, the ones who are safe in the shepherd's arms, you've missed a huge piece of your mission. 
Because a lot of you, no, all of you, know people in your life who are lost. They don't have Jesus. And my question to you is, what are you doing about that? Are you okay that they spend eternity apart from Jesus, apart from the shepherd? Are you? Are you cool with that? You're just like, eh, man, that's going to stink for them for eternity. Really? we got to be about our mission, the same mission that Jesus is. Now, going back to the movie. In Saving Private Ryan, as I said, the whole movie is about these eight guys that are going after this one man, Private Ryan, James Ryan. And as you might imagine, a lot of the movie, there are parts of the movie, and I'm going to show you a clip in just a minute. Don't worry, I know it's a war movie. It's not going to be violent. But the soldiers are just talking, and, and, and throughout the movie, they wrestle with the value and the, and the smartness and the sense of risking their eight lives to save James Ryan. You can understand how that would be a, an important question for them, right? What is the sense in the eight of us going after one guy, risking all of our lives to save the one? Right? They, they, they wrestle with this in the movie. And in this scene that I'm going to show you in just a minute, uh, one of the privates, uh, Private Ryben, he, he asks his captain this. He basically says, you know, he's questioning the value of the mission. He, he's questioning the fact that, of what he's doing and, and that it doesn't make sense. And then he brings up this and, and he says to his captain, Captain, don't you ever grumble or complain or gripe about things like this stupid mission, in other words, is what he's saying. And his captain, he has a funny way to do it. You'll see that. He has a funny way to respond to him. He keeps it lighthearted, but he reminds this private, and he reminds the other guys in his company of why their mission matters and what he's willing to do. Here's the clip. Take a look. You want to explain the math of this to me? I mean, where's the sense of risking the lives of the eight of us to save one guy? Hey, so, Captain, what about you? I mean, you don't gripe at all? I don't gripe to you, Riven. I'm a captain. He's a chain of command. Gripes go up, not down, always up. You gripe to me. I gripe to my superior officer, so on, so on, so on. I don't gripe to you. I don't gripe in front of you. You should know that as a ranger. I'm sorry, sir, but uh, let's say you weren't a captain, or maybe I was a major. What would you say then? Well, in that case, I say this is an excellent mission, sir, with an extremely valuable objective, sir. Worthy of my best efforts, sir. Moreover, I feel heartfelt sorrow for the mother of Private James Ryan and I'm willing to lay down my life. You hear what he said at the very end? I feel heartfelt sorrow for the mother of James Ryan and willing to do what? Lay down my life. Are you? Willing to lay down your life? Maybe even for somebody that you don't know? They make that point in the movie constantly. I don't know James Ryan. Even the captain says that at one point. He says, I don't know James Ryan. I don't know who this guy is. Are you willing to lay down your life as Jesus has for the lost? So how does this work? 
just take a moment. This may not be comfortable for you, but just take a moment and I want you to look around the room. Try not to stare at anybody. <clears throat> I have to stare at you guys every Sunday, so just deal with it, right? Look around the room. Let me ask you this question. Do you see any empty chairs? You know what those empty chairs represent? Maybe you've never thought about it. I know I do, because I pray for them. Those chairs represent all the people who are not connected to Jesus, and they're going to spend eternity separated from God. And it, it wrecks me every week. And if you're sitting there and you show up to church sometimes, every now and then on a Sunday, but you're not helping to seek and save the lost, you might as well not show up to church. I'm not telling you to stay away. I'm telling you that you've missed it. Showing up to church in the American form of Christianity is not what we do. It's part of what we do, but it's a small part of what we do. Most of us here are part of the 99. Most of us here are part of the 99. Most of us here have a relationship with Jesus, but some of us in here, honestly, we don't. Those of you who don't, you know who you are. I'm not calling you out because you're so terrible. No, I'm saying we want to hang out with you. We want to eat with you. We want to share with you. We want to talk to you. We love you, just like Jesus loves you. Maybe not quite as good because <laughs> we're humans. <laughs> I mess up too. You see that there's floor space here, right? There's chairs right across the hall that we can bring in. And I'm not saying coming to church is like the key, the answer. No, Jesus is the answer. We just have the answer, you understand. Northridge is not the answer. We have the answer. And my question to you is what are you doing to bring people to Jesus? Because that is your mission. It really is. You may, some of you are skeptical. You say, no, it's not. That's yours. <laughs> You're a pastor. Yeah, it is my mission. You're right. And it is also yours. And if it's just me, like in this area, and the few other pastors that are in this area, you know what's going to happen? We're going to fail miserably. Just so you know. Because God didn't give us just that mission to us. He gave it to all of us. Every person who accepts Jesus, it's their mission. What are we doing to save the lost? This is what God is talking about. Are you bringing it up? Are you inviting them to church? Are you opening the Bible in front of them? <laughs> right? I'm not saying like bash them over, right? And like the Pharisees and be like, hey, you need to eat with me because you're pretty messed up. So let's go. Right? And let me, let me just share with you. All right, let's get into it. Romans, you know. No. But if you're just hanging out with them, and you know them well, and they know you well, and you never give them the light of Christ, the, the love of Jesus, 
You never give them the opportunity. You never risk your reputation and offer to bring them to church. I'm not saying invite them to church. I mean, you go to their house and say, you can follow me there because I know it's weird. It's a village center. It's strange. I get it. And Pastor Brent's weird. (laughs) So I should walk in with you. I I mean, you should see this guy, right? I, I get it. Offer to have them follow you. Say, hey, I'll come pick you up. I'm not forcing, but I'm willing to do that. Do what you can to bring people to the saving grace and knowledge of Christ. Because that's your mission. It's my mission too. And to be honest, sometimes it is uncomfortable. You guys wouldn't believe that maybe about a pastor, but, but it's the truth. There are sometimes God has made it very clear I need to invite somebody to church and I don't want to. Because I'm like, I, I don't have the kind of relationship yet. I mean, I don't know how they're going to react. And God says, I know, just do it. <laughs> but I still get scared. I get apprehensive. So I understand your feelings. Trust me, I do. In fact, I'll just put a little plug in for this. We talked about this, the Dream Big meeting tomorrow night. We are going to talk about budget. We're going to talk about numbers. We're going to talk a little bit about facilities. So if you're curious about that stuff, awesome. That's, that's a meeting for you. But tomorrow at 7, we're going to talk about what we are about as a church. In this room, we'll be in this room at 7 o'clock. Please be here. We booked two rooms because last, last year, it was packed. We didn't have enough space. That's a good thing. So make sure you're here tomorrow at 7. We're going to talk about some of this stuff. What God has been doing, what we get excited about God doing in the future. In a few minutes, just a moment or two, we're going to sing a new song that we've never sung at Northridge. Uh, my guess is probably a good portion of you have heard this song, have listened to this song, and know this song. Um, th- what's interesting in this song is a little, has a little bit of controversy around it. Welcome to Northridge. <laughs> uh, and the reason it has some controversy is because it has the word reckless in it. And you know what that word reckless is attached to? You guys have heard the song. Now you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And it's ca- it, 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 the reckless love of God. It, it's calling the love of God reckless in, the, in a worship song. <laughs> and there's a lot of controversy. I, I want to read just a portion of the chorus, okay? Just listen to these words. It says, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. Now you know why we're singing it. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. That's some powerful stuff right there. So regardless of your controversy or what you've heard about it, we're going to sing this song. And the truth is, when you hear the word reckless love, Right away, when I say the word reckless, any, just about any American right away is going to say negative, negative. If my son or daughter or if he or she is reckless, then right away we think, oh, reckless, that's negative. Reckless is negative. But that's not exactly what it has to mean. One of the synonyms for reckless, if you look it up, there's a lot of synonyms, but if there's, one of the synonyms is audacious. Is one of the synonyms for reckless. Audacious. And audacious could be negative too, but audacious means bold action, great or bold risk, bold sacrifice. Like it's audacious. It's unbelievable. I can't believe how big it is. It's audacious. You get where we're going with this? And this has a double meaning, really. 
Because when we sing of the reckless love of God, from the world's perspective, God's love does seem reckless and foolish. It does. To a lot of people, they say it doesn't make sense. Strategically, it makes no sense. But the truth is that God's love, followers of Christ, Northridgers, you need to hear me on this. Because if you don't understand this, you need to get this. I think most of us get this because we talk about it like every time. His love is overwhelming. It is extravagant. It is perfect. It cannot get bigger for you, for me, for every person on this planet. It is huge. It's extravagant. And that's what this song talks about. So I want to ask you two final questions, a couple of questions before we sing that song. First question is the first one that every person on this planet has to deal with at some point. And that is this. Where are you at with God? Where are you at? Honestly, I'm not saying what do you look like? What, what personality do you put out there? I'm saying where are you really at with God? Where's your relationship with Jesus? Do you have one? That's an important place to start. If you don't, my hope, my prayer is every single Sunday is that that's the day that you choose. Because until that time, you're lost. So you got to deal with that first. Where are you at? Are you one of the lost outside the protection of the shepherd, of Jesus? If you are, give your life to Christ. That's the first step. The second one, for the rest of us, if we have given our lives to Christ, if we are part of the 99, so to speak, if you are here, then my question to you is, who do you know in your life that is not connected to God, that is far from God? Who in your life is lost? You, do you know why you know them? That's why. <laughs> you thought it was because somebody connected you on Facebook. Ah. That's funny. That's hilarious that you think that. It's not. It's because they're lost. You know why you know those other people in your group, like a couple that maybe they're followers of Christ with you, but then you got the other 10 that they don't live for God at all? You know why they're in your group? Because they're lost. You know why you're there? Because you need to connect with them, seek and save the lost, just like Jesus says. Who do you know? Here's, can I encourage you to do something? I don't care how you do this. Can I just encourage you to do something? Start making a, a note or a list. Put it in your phone. Put it on some paper. Do something of some people that you're going to pray for regularly. I don't mean like um, on a Sunday before you go to church. I mean every day that you think, anytime you think of them, anytime you're going to go have dinner with them, you're going to pray for them. And when you have the opportunity, you're going to pray for God to open some doors for you to bring up Jesus or bring up inviting them to church, or whatever, however you want to do that. Are you willing to put down some people in your life? I know some of you are doing it right now. That's good. What are you going to put down? Who are you going to bring to Jesus? Because we need to be like Jesus and seek and save those who are lost. Remember the empty chairs. Whenever you guys see empty chairs in here, I want it to haunt you. <laughs> It haunts me in a good way. Not like a Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of way. 
it haunts me because I know that this is my mission. There are people who should be here that I could help to be here. There are people who I will never know that you guys can connect to Christ that I will not be able to. We need to work together to do it. Will you join me in bringing people and seeking and saving the lost? Because ultimately, out of everything else that we talk about at Northridge, that is the main point of who we are. It's why we're here. Let's pray. God, for anybody in here who maybe they just realized it this morning as we were talking, maybe they've known it for a long time, but they would be honest in saying they know they are lost. They're not part of the 99. They've never given their life to Christ. Maybe they've showed up at church a few times. Maybe they've heard about God. Maybe they know what the Bible is but maybe they've never given their life to you, Jesus. I pray that they would very simply surrender their life to you, God, today. That they would admit, God, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to repent. I'm going to turn from the ways that I've been living, and I'm going to give my life to you. That I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me, and you rose from the grave three days later. That you conquered sin in my life and everybody's life, and you conquered death that when I leave this earth, I'm going to spend eternity with God because I have a relationship with Jesus and see that I commit my life to you, that I commit my, the rest of my days to you, Jesus. Today and now, I am found. I am a follower of Christ. Pray that they would give their life to you. And for the rest of us, if we are already followers of Jesus, there are people all around us who are lost. What are we doing? God, help us to wrestle with that question every day. What are we doing to seek and save those who are lost, those without Jesus? Help us to be bold about it. Help us to be strong with it. Help us to take up our mission. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.